How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with Johnny Stewart. I was actually introduced to Johnny through our buddy Bo, and it was a couple seasons back. I was talking with Bo, and he kept mentioning his buddy Johnny, and I was like, man, Bo seems like he's been influenced a lot by his friend John, so I figured I'd give him a call and you know do a podcast with him on our channel. Right away, we hit it off. Really like talking with Johnny, and learn a lot from him. And one of the things that I think is really unique about his hunting situation is over the years, he spent a ton of time hunting during the late season. Due to his occupation, he has more time to hunt later in the season and focuses a lot on late season strategy and how to hunt different areas, whether that be the Midwest or the Eastern Hills in states like PA, West Virginia, or Ohio. John just has a lot of experience hunting in a variety of situations and has learned a lot doing it and has a lot of cool information to share. One of the issues that I've always had when trying to learn more about hunting late season is there's a lot of do's and don'ts that I don't necessarily think apply to every hunting situation. This is a little bit of a longer podcast, but I feel like we cover a bunch of really cool topics and my hope with this is that it's not just another run-of-the-mill late season conversation where you know, it's based off of just a couple very specific situations where deer are moving to obvious feeding areas. This is hopefully a little bit more of an in-depth look of what Johnny's looking for when he's hunting heavily pressured public land areas during the later part of the season. In a late season specific podcast, we obviously talk a lot about food sources, but we also talk a lot about bedding areas. We talk about movement patterns throughout the day. We talk about hunting all day during the late season. Also things like buck sign, access, and we even have an in-depth conversation about things like bed shifts, where the wind shifts throughout the day and seeing bucks move from one bedding location to another and how you can capitalize on that during the late season. Before we get started though, wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social platform Go Wild to help combat mainstream social media's censorship. As you guys have probably noticed over the years, social media has become more and more censored and it's made it harder for us hunters to show our lifestyle. Go Wild is a free social community where nothing's censored and you're actually encouraged to do things like share trophies, do gear reviews, and invite friends to join Go Wild. As you earn points, you can unlock awesome rewards and they'll give you things like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. The app is free in the App Store, so you can either click the link in the description of this podcast or you can visit timetogowild.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Let's talk with Johnny about late season deer hunting. Hey, Zach, how's it going? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good, getting over, getting sick for the holidays. I feel like that's pretty common, though, huh? Yeah, but don't tell my old lady. I'm glad it was during christmas and not <laughs> week after <laughs> that's hilarious you know yeah so. yeah i get it jake the last two years like right on the same week in december got pretty sick it's kind of funny i mean it's not funny but it's yeah yeah interesting last yeah. year we were hunting in uh indiana for muzzleloader season and he got sick and like had to miss two full days just had to get a hotel room and was like just dad sick yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, around that's the way it goes yeah it's usually them bad sickness too not just a little cold it's like you're down and out and you just want to hunt you just can't move you know 
yeah. And I, I feel like I'm going to jinx it now, but yeah. I was just thinking the other day, I was like, I haven't been sick in a while. And surprisingly all fall, I felt pretty dang good. So I'm sure that jinxes it now, but <laughs> yeah. I usually don't open my mouth, you know, when I know. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't so. have, but I did. <laughs> so um, what's been going on, man? I've been doing a lot of hunting this year. Did good in a few States. Um, Looking forward to late season. Um, I'm going to hit Iowa and Illinois. I got an Iowa tag this year, so I'm going to start there. Head back to Illinois, and then I still got an Ohio tag. So still some, oh. you know, kind of as the season's last long, you know, I'll start in Iowa, then Illinois, then Ohio's my last last spot to hit. So I still got a chance of killing some bucks, man. So I'm, hopefully we get some cold weather, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, pretty sweet. I actually have um... – I'm going to go bow hunting. I think, I think I'm going to leave tonight and be hunting again tomorrow. There's a few more days of season for a tag that I have. And then, uh, got a New Mexico coos deer tag for late oh, January, wow. which was kind of like a, a fluke deal. Cause I, you know, that's a thing that I just drew randomly. I didn't think I would get it and then got it. It's like kind of a cool opportunity to bow hunt late season. Yeah, that's cool. Now there's going to yeah. be snow out there in that area. I don't think, I think it's going to be more of like a, actually a rut hunt is what all the research I've said is telling me like those, those deer being, you know, kind of a different subspecies and being so far South. Oh, they're South. Yeah. Mm -hmm, that, okay. that they say that it'll be like, you know, November in most of the Midwest or whatever. So yeah, we'll see. I think it'll be like a mixture of spot and stalk and just probably like finding, uh, you know, pockets that they're going into and then just trying, I guess, regular old rut tactics like calling and stuff like that. But who mm -hmm. knows? Who knows? Yeah. That's but, good. Yeah. Somewhere different. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure it's going to like throw me through a loop completely, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about late season too. And I feel like in the last couple of years, I've just been more and more interested in it mostly because i mean and i know you and i have talked about it some in the past but like my experience with late season really up until the last few years has been pretty minimal like mm -hmm. you know a lot of times when i was just living in ohio when i was younger i was like i don't know by this time of the year you're kind of generally wrapping things up but yeah. especially when you're only hunting one state but as time's gone on i've got to do more like even just post gun season type hunting. So, and I know you've done a lot of it. Yeah. We were down in Ohio the six, the 16th and 17th for the gun season had mm -hmm. some, man, I had a good one close, um, with the gun and I just told, so I've been taking a guy with me, Harry, I think he in terms of, he was going to be an, in, I don't know. He talked to you, but he's, he's a pretty good kid. He was, he following me around, but um, I said, hey, Harry, it's going to happen right when we least expect it. <laughs> you know, I turn around and walk, and I pulled a camera, and there was some doe on it. I turn around and go 80 yards, and I see a big deer and a, uh, a little deer. Well, that's a doe and a fawn because that's all that's on my camera. And I just take my binoculars like it's, it's a shooter and a smaller buck. And it was like he's about 12 yards behind me. I'm like, and, I, and, you know, I'm not ready for him. Like, how do I get the binoculars down and tell him that there's a buck here and shoot while this deer's staring at me? Right. 
No, it didn't. He's like, I saw you up there doing some weird move. I was like trying to get behind the tree and trying to crouch. I don't know what I was doing. You know, if it was just me and not trying to film, I would have just it kind of got switched my gun up and took a shot. But um, so we had a chance at one when I least expected it, as always. And then it got cold on Monday, Tuesday. We stayed for uh, two days of bow hunting. We actually seen more bucks bow hunting the two days than we did on the, the warmer gun days. And I was kind of had a little bit of a dusting of snow. And I was kind of, man, I got into my obsession. Like, I just wanted, didn't want to leave. You know, I'm like, I need a couple more days. We're going to get him. And he's looking at me and there's nobody around. It's cold. We're going way up on a mountain. He's like, you're crazy. I said, I, and I said, you know what, Harry, you, you were wanting to get home, you know, and stuff like I said, you know what, I just need to. I got to break the cycle. I got to get out of it because I could mm-hmm. be here like obsessed for the rest of the week and not just, you know, not talk to anybody, just live in a wood. Oh, yeah. Year, so, um, <laughs> very but, relatable. Um, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> but when I get home, like now and then Christmas and that, I lose it again. I'm like out of it where I live near Pittsburgh. Not, not, nobody's hunting here. They ain't, it's like out of sight, out of mind, but that's why I've, nice to do some talking about hunting now because i want to go to iowa and get me kind of the ball rolling again then once i get out there that addiction will take over and i'll be i'll be all messed up again but so it's good to have a break in a cycle i guess (laughs) oh yeah the the bow hunting that i'm about to go do i'm limited to three days because the season ends so it's like it's it's yeah yeah it's good (laughs) you know it's it's, i've got some past history i've been hunting there on and off a little bit throughout the uh, I guess throughout November, but I don't feel that I need to like start from scratch. So mm-hmm. it's like go in three days, use the knowledge that I've gained from past hunts and then just commit to it. And then there's a hard end, you know, it's like, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I yeah. can't, I can't really link Well, I can't linger cause, or get too addicted to it. Cause it's over. keep hunting. <laughs> so that's kind of nice. I like that. Too. And sometimes when you only have those three days, that's when you do your best work because mm-hmm. you have to, you're going to go for your best spots and you're going to hunt the hardest. You're not going to take a break, any shortcuts. And you know, that's where you have some good luck usually. Yeah. Get aggressive one instead of the one thing that I've noticed that I've been doing in this spot is there's just enough glassing opportunities, but not quite enough to like consistently watch a, a buck bed, which is what mm-hmm. I would prefer. But I think yeah. I've in past hunts, there's been some days where I've spent a little bit too much time glassing versus just, you know, getting an idea of where the action's taking place and then being more aggressive. Mm-hmm. I'm like sitting back glassing too much. And I think this trip, a, a goal of mine will be just being more aggressive right out of the gate. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, it's fun to see them, but at a certain point you can't see them from, or, you know, you can't shoot them from the glassing points most of the time. Yeah. 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 That's kind of an adjustment I want to make. And hopefully the patterns haven't shifted too much. Cause last I was there was about a month ago, the end of November. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I guess like we talked through text, you know, about focusing on late season. And I last night kind of drew up, a. I don't know, just a list of questions and topics that I feel have been hangups for me in the past and probably will continue to be hangups for late season. And just some of the things that I'd love to pick your brain about, um, really just focused on that mm-hmm. late season topic. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. I guess right out of the gate, the number one thing that I feel when I, especially when I look back to like when I was in high school or, 
um, even college, you know, over 10 years ago, thinking about when I would go into a place to bow hunt, let's say mid-January and public land, um, not necessarily the private land stuff that I hunted because I was able to, you know, kind of gauge the pressure on those places a little bit better. But when I would go into some of these public areas, I remember feeling that the area had just been pounded. You know, we're talking mm-hmm. post gun season, sometimes even an extra gun weekend in there. Um, a lot of bow hunting, a lot of non-resident pressure, all these factors coming in and, a lot of times I would just get this feeling that, oh, there's no way, you know, that you could ever even pull this off. Like this has just been ran through so many times. You're not seeing the same amount of sign as you were earlier, you know, in the season, but obviously that's not the case. Like obviously there's still deer and bucks and even mature bucks on public land. Really, I I believe every state, it's just, it takes a little more work to find them. So like, I guess to take that question like a step further, like what are you kind of honing in on and what are you factoring into your decision-making when you're picking spots to go either check out or put cameras or scout or whatever it may be? Like what, what are some of those factors, I suppose? So I just was uh, looking on my maps for Illinois because that's where I'm hit, Ted, and I'm going to actually stop, drop a dozen cameras, go to Iowa and come back. So I'm kind of where you're at and what you're asking is what am I going to look for? And I'm just kind of, um, I've talked to a guy out there, you know, if you know anyone in the area where you're hunting, see what the mast is like, see if it's still around. Mm-hmm. Um, they said it was a decent mast crop. So I'm thinking, you know, everybody want to then like them Midwestern States where you have some ag, you want to get near that field and catch them out in the evening coming that way. But it's like, that's the hardest hunting there is because everybody did that all year. Mm-hmm. And I've did it. I, I've done it years ago. And that's when I always got pegged and it's always the does. And you know, the bucks are just back here, just chewing our cud, you know, on top of the mountain. But, um, so I started hunting more in the forest and finding that mast and more, um, actually getting in there before light and setting up on them, catching them coming for that midday and, coming out of them fields sometimes it's the last thing they do is leave the field so i found some areas that look like they might have some masters a little bit of terrain um so i'm drop pins there and i'm just going to go in and um drop cameras um and maybe i'm and i'm kind of trying to find some private areas in this illinois um like the board like within you know close proximity that maybe and i think everybody kind of thinks that way that they might be gravitating toward that you know, at night or whatever to feed and be on the public door in a day. Um, but I mean, I'll even, uh, if it allows, I'll just go in it. I mean, I'll go in at nighttime and drop cameras, you know, mm-hmm. just head whatever. And that's even checking my cameras a lot at nighttime. Cause you know, other, unless you're going to hunt, um, you really can't get in there to check those cameras cause you're going to ruin it. And then I know with late season, you know, you might find a pack of deer that are feeding on a ridge or wherever they might be feeding the south slope. Um, and sometimes the problem is once you find if it's like if you eliminate the cameras and you want to go check, like you said, a spot. I did that in Ohio, I think two winters ago. I was just uh, looking for um, mass crops because um, it was spotty there, you know, and like Illinois, I think because there is more ag i'll probably leave cameras in them open woods because i just feel like there's more deer and if i got some 
couple little fingers or bumps, you know, I'm going to catch deer moving, you know, like mm-hmm. Ohio, some of the areas I go, there's a lot less deer in general. It's to where if you don't have the acorns, there chances are you might not even see a deer guys bait in Ohio and mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere in Ohio that you're going to hunt public something within a mile, I'd say there's a bait pal, you know, and that really draws the deer out of the woods. But so like in Ohio, I, I did that one year. I just was looking for chestnut oaks and, uh, I, I bumped a pack of does and they were feeding on chestnut oaks and they were they dropped a camera and this and that. And it was probably, probably the first week of January. And I did find the deer, but, and, and I'm sure they haven't been pressured for a few weeks, probably from that 16th, middle of December. So I'm looking at least three weeks mm-hmm. and they were living their life feeding. But man, I learned soon you put that first bit of pressure on them they go right back into their um (laughs) you know their pressured Mm -hmm. tactics to where like back into november gun season so and you got to watch you'll ruin your spot that spot just like that and and i did that that spot and and it took me a couple days to hunt and i ran cameras and the deer it was whatever i kind of ruined it so you got to be careful when you're locating these spots you know Mm -hmm. to, to to potentially set up in the near future for a hunt if you're just going you know there are times when you can you know if you know that there's a thicket where they're bedded in or, or mm-hmm. something like that you can go check these oaks you know but um if it's just some parts that are all open oaks they could be bedded all in that area south slope so you got to be really careful that you know Soon as you soon as you bump them in that late season, they're going to go right back into that mm-hmm. uh, December and, and November mind frame where now they're going to start ent- entering these oaks with uh, thermals. You know, where now they're going to be laying and just listening to it because you, you already screwed yourself. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes you can't help but do it. But then if you keep scouting and finding the areas to where okay, I didn't bump nothing, or if you just bump a few dough or something like that. But I think um, the food is the number one thing. You know, and then find where they're feeding and even if it is where you think they're feeding on private or whether it's a bait someone's feeding them i use that to my advantage too uh in ohio say i think someone you know is is baiting over here on private land well you can catch them maybe returning you know to maybe the public land but i think food is the number one thing i look for and and uh, like you said i'll I'll drop i'll go out like in illinois i'm gonna drop cameras and then so like my trip to Iowa, after I drop cameras in Illinois, I'm going to go to Iowa. And I think um, I've been in, I got a handful of areas that I have historically seen good deer and ran cameras. So I'm not too worried about, um, you know, it's one good thing about once you have so many years of hunting under your belt, you can go to these areas. And I, and I know there's a good deer here. I don't have mm-hmm. to run cameras. So I'll take cameras with me and run them, but I'm just going to hunt Iowa. Um, I got a muzzleloader tag, but I'm going to go with my bow and, uh, you know, hope, I don't know what the mass crops in in the area. So I'm going to, you know, I'm actually going to probably get into a spot my first day before light and, and catch them maybe transitioning back into the forest, even areas I find where they might cross a piece, come out of an ag, cross a little piece of public and to a private, you know, if you can find something like that, where you can set up in between, get a shot at them. So that's that, I think. Um, but Ohio, for sure, where I hunt is pretty rugged. And um, a lot of the um, bigger woods is that all depend. I mean, I've also found browse um, like green briar and this and that. But mm-hmm. 
I feel like, man, if you don't have and the mass can vary in elevation, you know, when it gets like so this year, the uh, chestnut oaks germinated early in a white oaks and none of my deer touched them. They are. I, I learned they are starting to feed on some. When I was down on the 16th and 17th, I could see that brown shit. You start seeing that brown shit all through the woods. Mm-hmm. It's shiny and fresh. There, I found them definitely eating chestnut oaks. Where I seen him, that buck I was telling you, he there was deer feeding on chestnut oaks for sure. I mean, most of them did um, germinate, but um, there's one spot uh, in Ohio this year, just one big old white oak, and it um, it dropped there uh, late October, mid October, and I had my camera on it, but man, we had that warm weather in Ohio all through October and it, it, they rooted and it was the only white oak. I mean, within hundreds and hundreds of yards and, and they, I left that camera all the way to December and they wouldn't go back and eat them white oaks and they germinate early. But if you can find the blacks and the reds, lower elevation or my bad, I didn't find them lower elevation, but whatever elevation they might be, but they'll, they'll start keying in on those. So, definitely ohio and if hey if i don't find acorn zach i'm just like i'm not i need some type of odds on my side it's not mm-hmm. like hey they're eating green briar and, and, and miles and miles of green briar i'm gonna go set like no i'll i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave i'll go to a, you know what i mean it's just yeah. like you gotta have something on your side that says hey i could i could get a chance at, i have a chance at a deer you know and mm-hmm. and so um actually when we were down there in ohio um it was just a mountaintop that I find these deer on in the winter, these big bucks kind of king of the mountain and they they'll gang up and it'll just live up on these mountains. I think they feed low during the day and yeah. you know, the pressure comes in from low and they go up high and um, it looks like a no man's land up there. You know, there's no sign um, and they're not really feeding on a ton of chestnuts, but um, man, we seen that, that Monday after, after gun season, I think we seen uh, three buck and eight, nine doe just middle like way up on these mountains, like nobody around, you know what I mean? But they were, mm-hmm. but there's a, you know, and you would start watching deer and learning from deer that they were actually kind of laying on a point there and watching the sun come up. And then they were transitioning to maybe a South slope, just down an elevation to where there was a little bit of heat. Um, but I've also seen them lay up in them, you know, like there's even some thermal cover, but I've seen these big old bucks just, you know, when you're getting into 20 degrees and that in Ohio, I've seen them just lay way up on top of these mountains. They don't mm-hmm. care about the thermal cover. They don't care about the southern slope. You know, like these deer did transition to a southern slope. But I don't know why, you know, um, I think there was some they were making a transition from this point across to the south slope. And and the, I think it was acorns down in there. And, and I've even seen them walk just you know they start to figure out as we do through the hunting season where the food's where it's left mm-hmm. and they'll be bop around you know they'll get on Milwaukee's ridges they'll drop down this slope and they'll feed there and they'll go up on a hill and lay down then they'll go up over and we're going to go check this spot and they'll just they constantly move it's not always like a point a to point b it's just like you know i don't know if it's living with coyotes and humans as far as predators and they just keep you guessing and i think mm-hmm. anytime you look at radio collar deer they're in a mountain situation it's never like you know and i thought when i was younger it was just this is easy i just gotta figure out he's here 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 no he's it's like it's like this intertwined <laughs> and in your mind you start seeing you don't have to you don't or mean like just all the hunting we do you don't have you see it in your head how deer move and it's it is like that they'll move around so you just got to kind of catch them but um it is wild when you start and, and i get stuck in my areas because you get to know a little better and a little better and you stay in them areas but 
I think food is number one. Um, and then that colder weather. And like I said, the pressure is down. And I'm also looking where the people aren't going to go, um, which might be a, a long hike back in the woods. Um, that, that's always a, a good start, you know. Um, if they're, no one's been back here since maybe a gun or bow season, then you could you can get into a clan of deer, you know what I mean? But like I said, as soon as you put the pressure to them, it's like, you know, now we're talking about an area that's not pressured. I mean, a time of year that isn't pressured, all they got to do is go to the next ridge or something, you know, come back say it's where you bump them their feet and they'll just come after dark if they have to you know but mm. um it is uh i do like it because it comes back to like you know you got that period of the rut and stuff where you don't know what's going on it's a crazy time to hunt but you get back into almost like the early season the real early season to where you know what's going on it's pretty easy you know you're going to catch them where that food is you know more um, patternable yeah patternable a little and, bit more at least and the guys aren't you know, they move more like, you know, that's the biggest thing. You're not going to kill a mature deer. He has to be moving. And I think most of the time through the November, you know, or October to November, a lot of times then bucks are bedded, you know, and then you get this colder weather makes they, they, they move more to survive too. You know, they'll feed mm-hmm. and move, you know, to where you have that chance. And I like the midday when you get that warm up from 10 to two, I love that time of the day, you know, and yeah. it's sun's up. So that was something I was going to ask you about too. It's like midday stuff, I guess. Like that was actually something you kind of brought up, brought it up already, but you brought up a couple of things that I was going to ask your opinion on morning and midday, because I feel like the one thing that I don't like about hunting, like September, October timeframe is that feeling of like, man, I know I'm close to where, you know, there's a decent chance he's in that pocket. Yeah. Yeah. But is he even going to move more than 50 yards or 20 yards and just stand up and feed in a circle where I feel like late season morning, midday, even early in the, in the afternoon or at evening mm-hmm. time, I've seen more consistently big movements. Like one time specifically, I just have this, this one story that always pops into my mind when I talk late season. So I was in college, I was home for break and we had this, long break that went into January and I had been kind of cruising around. This is farm country in Western Ohio, private land that I had permission on, but it was really heavily pressured. Like the guy that owned it was real cool. He let everybody go, but Mm -hmm. he let everybody go. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I remember I was driving around that property and I realized that there was all these deer congregating there because there was just a lot of leftover corn in one of the fields. And there was a couple of bedding areas that the deer were using on three different woodlots, two of which I could hunt, one of them I could not hunt, but there was a fence row that connected them all. And I would just kind of cruise around in my vehicle and I would do that like mid-morning because everybody would go to work early and then mm-hmm. I would just kind of make a loop around the block later into the morning in glass. And sometimes I'd even see them in the edge of the of the woods standing up browsing around their bedding area well i remember one day i was i did that and i saw him way over on that property well then i went back to my parents which was i don't know mile mile and a half two miles somewhere in there and all of a sudden i was doing something i don't know working on a computer or something i was in in the office and i remember i looked out the window and here it's like 
straight up middle of the day. And here's one of the bucks that I'd been seeing on the other property, just coming through the woods behind my parents' house, like on their Mm -hmm. little piece of acreage there. Yeah. So I grabbed my bow, made a stalk. Lo and behold, ended up at about 40 yards and never had a, a clear shot. But like the reason I bring that up is that was the very first experience where I was like, damn, these deer might move a long way in the middle of the day. Yeah. Just, just because like what you said, it seems like they're just kind of moving from food source to food source, whether that's to avoid predators like coyotes and humans, or just trying to find, you know, the food source they haven't completely depleted yet, or I guess just balancing that out. It does seem like they move quite a bit. Have you experienced like similar things midday in late season? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, to me, it's, it's better than like the rut, the midday, like when, especially when you got a high pressure sun's coming up and it's warming things up. I feel like, man, these deer are going to, you just feel right, you know, and then they mm-hmm. start moving around. And, and like I said, um, if you can, and it's even comes down to like how, like you said, places have been pressured so much. Like sometimes them are the best areas because that the deer, and I learned that in an, well, I kind of knew that this place in Ohio I ended this year, the deer, you know, we were on to some, some nice scrapes and a lot of black oaks early uh, October. And then the bigger bucks vacated because the hunters moved in. And I, I kind of all through October, no, no deer, a um, couple little bucks and acorns like marbles everywhere, black oaks laying all over the place. And basically the deer have abandoned this area, but you come back, they come that food. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're pushed out of there, but the food, so they're elsewhere eating and they're like, man, we got all these resources here. We got to get back to. So mm-hmm. some of them heavier hunted areas, even, you know, I'll go up like a trail that people usually hike in, you know, in the January and you'll see tracks, you know, and they're, I'm like, man, this, this is a good sign. You know, you don't mm-hmm. see any human trees start seeing deer tracks, but yeah. Um, midday and, and I, and I always look forward to them areas that have a good acorn crop that, or ideal pieces of habitat for deer that the people push them out. And then you can like, that's why I like Ohio. Cause you got till February and these deer can be in there in the third week of January, just feeding like nobody bothering them at all, you know, and then you can get into some good hunting. So, um, yeah, I know I just always had luck late season. I just felt like, man, they're still there. And, and if you can find that food and you should you know, have some luck. So, yeah. And truthfully, the pressure seems to consistent be consistently be significantly lower than even October, mm-hmm. even, yeah. you know, September in some States where it's open, it's, it's pretty wild how, you know, people just completely fall off. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is people burn out or yeah. they fill their tag, you know, mm-hmm. It's like, hell, if you've filled your tag and you're only hunting one, you know, your home state, like you can't go anymore. So I think that's a big part of it. And then, um, yeah, you know, they take time off like during a rut. And, and like you said, they, they only have so much time and that, you know, and that's a great time to hunt. But, um, there, yeah, there are opportunities late, mm-hmm. you know, if you got issues like me, I have to just, I can't stop till, <laughs> till the season's out. Like, I'm like, yeah i know exactly what you mean my um, buddy my buddy i work with he said hey i because i do excavation mm-hmm. and he said hey so-and-so is wanting if you know we want to go do some digging over i was like oh, 
I said, I've still got three weeks of hunting. He's, I said, I said, tell so-and-so. You mentioned digging to me, and I threw up my mouth a little bit. It tasted better than me running a machine. <laughs> he laughs. He's like, you're something else. I know I got issues. I can't. When season's over, I then I'll start thinking about digging. But I can't. Oh, even. Yeah. I still got a few weeks left. You know? Hey man, I, t- I totally, I totally relate. It's it's one of those things that. I mean, there's good parts to it. And there's bad parts to it. But I think ultimately, yeah. it's like the obsession is is real and uh it helps you in in the long run it seems like fine or you know just learn more things regardless of success or not you're gonna learn things yeah and i know in the past being there all season from september till january february you'd learn so much because the season changes so fast from day to day or week to week to you just keep checking these areas and you keep learning how the deer live in this areas and you just keep putting pieces of the puzzle together you know and um yeah, even a lot of years that I didn't kill deer, I was out there in January, but I was still learning and fi- still figuring them out where, pe- you know, people are already done. They, they want to figure them out through the rut and then mm-hmm. they move on. But then that helps you maybe come just knowing the, how the deer live throughout the whole year helps you just being a better hunter and, in, 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 you know, whether it's during the rut or, or, or whatever. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so... So you mentioned cold weather, and I feel like there are obvious benefits to cold weather. It forces them to move more often. Are there any other, other than like cold and snow, are there other weather conditions that jump out that you're looking at a, you know, five, 10 day forecast that you see coming and you're like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of this and do this. Like maybe that's means you scout more on that day or yeah. maybe you you know like to focus on a midday setup on those conditions are there any of those things that jump out or come to mind no like i was looking at the iowa weather it's going to be steady 30s maybe 20s just good um nothing too crazy wind wise probably do a lot of um sitting um you know pretty much just hunt every day um but as far as you know i, I have my muzzle loader and i've had luck with, with you know like when storms come in windy trees crack and wet like i tend to find deer getting nervous and moving so i'll usually take a gun you know or, or be you know hike just hike yourself through the woods you know because you're going to see deer kind of getting antsy and moving around so so i look you know i like you said, depending on what the weather looks like, if I feel like it's a windy, crazy day, um, I will maybe do some more steel hunting, you know, if, mm-hmm. if, if my tag allows to have a gun, um, you know, in, in the hills, maybe not on the top, you know, like getting blown by the wind, like maybe down a little lower, but you could just, but they might be crossing somewhere and this and that. So like a windy, blustery, snowy day or just, um, frozen day with the winds, trees crack, and I, I tend to see deer in times will move like that. And then, like you said, it'd be great to have a snowstorm come into your, you know, your area and, and before, during, or at, just, you know, I love hunting in the snow. I don't see it much anymore. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> actually, like two weeks ago, I drove down to West Virginia because there was a, it was muzzleloader, and they, uh, the mountains of West Virginia, like two and a half hours south, I'm supposed to get like four inches. I said, I just, I drove, you know, a few hours south and they only had an inch of snow, you know, 
and I was going to try to track, but them mountains are a thousand foot up and down, you know. Those are some big ones. <laughs> but I tell you what, it was uh, another educational time is being out there with the snow. I could, I went a gated road just about, I think it was like 3,000 foot elevation, but it just kind of was kind of up and down 50 feet. And all the deer tracks that snowed the day before, they all went down the mountain, down the mountain, you know, and, and it was um, eight, 900 feet down to the bottom. And, and it, I'd learned so much from that one inch of snow that I, I figured all the deer that were feeding at this elevation, guys already been in this gated road here and, and gun hunted. And, and I said, I looked down, you know, on my map, I looked down about 26, 2,500 feet. And there was just some, some nice little points down there. And that, that was 400 feet above the bottom. Like there's a spot to hunt right there for next mm-hmm. year. So just being out there with that one inch of snow, I'd learned, I'd never been in a spot. I did about five miles, just did a loop. And I, I hunted till one and I just drove around. I'm like, man, there's some deer here, probably dying of old age or some big ass mountains. I said, next year, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to come down and scout this. And uh, there's oodles of land down there. It's just, and it's, it's like, I do like getting away where no one's around. I feel like I could be there all by myself, you know, but, um, but yeah, just that little bit of snow, you can get out and, and like I'll drive sometimes in the morning before light, drive the road, see where deer cross or, or at night after dark, you know, see where the see where the deer are. Or, you know, there's a lot of times in the past in, in Iowa or Illinois, you could get out there after a few days of snow and it'll tell you right, right quick where all the deer are, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, Save you a lot of scouting hunters. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It cuts down on scouting. You know, luckily I got some good areas in mind, but um it does cut down the snow just takes all the guesswork out of it you know and, and we always look for that snow just it's just awesome to shoot a deer in the snow you know mm-hmm. so but yeah definitely windy blustery days or, or that snow but um i mean i've shot them on warm weather days too i've seen them i've shot them you know in a winter 45 degree days um sometimes you you get just a steady warm like 40s i'm not saying that's warm but for that time of year mm-hmm. you know I, I found them deer will move then too that's just more of a like a comfortable temperature they're not it's not like it's bed while it's cold and, and moving and warm times and in feeding i i, I find them kind of like uh how do i want to give you an analogy kind of like um everything's right They're They're not stressed maybe so much for because of the cold temperatures or food or something that are just, they're just bored. Now I find mm-hmm. they just kind of, the temperature's right. We're not, you know what I mean? Like I oh, found yeah. them in that, that type of situation, they're just going to move too, because they got, you know, if the coyotes aren't really bothering me, you know, and hunters aren't there. I've shot them when they were just calm and moving because I've seen them sparring and fighting, you know, mm-hmm. just because they ain't got nothing else to do. And so just, <laughs> It's that time of year to, uh, I think it's the biggest thing is the pressure's down and you can get a shot at them, you know. I agree. Even though it feels like, you know, you're always, I mean, this is just coming from my experiences. It's like you feel that everything's been pressured really bad and it has, but as that tapers off and you get further and further away from the end of the last gun season or whatever, whenever people were there in the, you know, peak of it all, it's like, as it gets further and further away from that deer just quickly become comfortable again and one of the things that like you brought up was that kind of just consistent nice weather and i feel like uh that's something that as i've hunted more and more 
late season stuff, it's like, if you do get a break, and I don't even mean a break, but like some subtle shift, like something that just happened here yesterday. Now, granted, I'm at home not hunting, but I was telling Whitney, my girlfriend, about this yesterday. It had been cloudy for like three, four days in a row. It snowed a little bit. And it wasn't anything like, you know, feet of snow, but it was two, three inches of snow maybe. Yesterday, though, was the first day that as soon as you woke up, it's at the time it was dark, it was bluebird sky, sunny, and it was just a little bit warmer, maybe maybe like 35, 36 degrees is a high, and that snow was kind of melting. And just by looking outside, one look outside, as soon as you, and then as soon as you step out there, you can just feel... It's just nice out. It's just comfortable. And those mm-hmm. days throughout the late season have become something that if I can see that coming in the weather, like a little bit of sunshine or whatever, those are the types of days where it does seem like you get a little bit more just random flurries of movement. And to your point, yeah, yeah. it's just comfortable. Like it just feels good out there. So, you know, I think when I was always hunting when I was younger with less I guess, late season experience, I was always looking for the, or hoping for the really brutally cold days. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. let's be honest, you just aren't going to get that yeah. every time or every weekend yeah. or whatever, when you can go hunting. So like now just trying to see, you know, advantages to little changes. And I guess one other, one other day that comes to mind, which is, uh, was a unique one was, it was muzzleloader season a couple of years ago and we were doing drives and it had been pouring rain, like brutally Mm -hmm. just coming down, dude, like soaked to the bone. And we went out like late morning, kind of avoided it as long as we could, but it's like, all right, you know, we got to get out there. So we did one drive, still pouring, got done with that one and it broke. And right when it broke, the wind kind of picked up and, you know, everything's super wet. And, uh, I was a driver on this particular drive and we were going to bump off a ridge that basically I had had past experiences the year before during bow season. So I'm coming up on a spot where I know there's beds. Like I saw them last fall mm-hmm. right up on this top. Yep. Yeah. End up coming around there as the driver and just stumble upon a whole bachelor group of bucks just milling around mm-hmm. yeah. and ended up shooting one rub like while he was rubbing. Yeah. I had no idea I was there and here I'm the, the driver of the, yeah. the drive. And then one of the standards ended up shooting another one, but it's another example of a unique weather change that when I was younger, hell, I wouldn't have been going when it was ended raining at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like I would have never went, I'd have been like, ah, the day's a wash. Like, you know, I wish it was snowing or something. And again, not to say that that isn't good. It's just. I feel that I'm seeing a little bit more opportunity in some of those subtle changes than I did when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. So. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense that, mm-hmm. and then like you said, that that's another thing. A lot of these bucks will get bachelored up, you know? So if you find them, you find the food, chances are you're going to find whether it's bucks or does you're, you know what I mean? That it's not just like trying to find one deer, you know, um, mm-hmm. which sometimes you take your pick. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those deals too, knowing that, or, or even if you don't haven't experienced that yet and you're listening to this and you're trying late season hunting and you see a small buck or something and you're waiting for, you know, a bigger buck, be on your toes and you see that first one coming, 
you know, yeah. feeding on acorns or something because big boy might be anywhere from a minute or 30 seconds to, you know, 30 minutes behind him, you know, and I feel like that's always a good confidence boost when you see deer, especially young bucks coming through in the late season because, you know, they're likely bachelored back up. Yeah, and um, how, how you were saying, like, earlier that, the you know, um, just seeing the deer or just getting um, – seeing them move like and how you said maybe you don't know if a deer in october is going to move 50 yards or whatever like i had some good success early october coming out of summer but i bet you three weeks in october we didn't see a deer you know what i mean mm-hmm. warmer weather and just bigger body deer you know and just don't move till night and man now's the opportunity that these deer you know i feel like we're going to see some movement it's tough mm-hmm. october and the more i talk to other hunters hunting that october into november it's it's i feel like there's nothing everything's out the window anymore there's nothing like mm-hmm. how people talk about like scrape week and this year or whatever we didn't see it you know and it's just like you, you know you're waiting for you want to hunt pinches or scrapes or rub line, and it's just like people were into november um and i talked to a lot of guys through november that are just ain't seeing any bucks any movement we sat for three four five days nothing eighth ninth tenth and this is not just this year this is going back the last four or five years and i think maybe it has to do with the weather and maybe more mm-hmm. hunting pressure or, or what it may be but man now we have an opportunity here in january to um definitely see deer movement um because it's man it's yeah there ain't as many bucks but the, the ones that are there are going to be moving yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean because it's it is yeah. tough it is tough hunting up through the rut net it's unpredictable and, and now we have a little bit we can predict you know if we can find that food and that but i think the biggest thing is getting some odds in your favor and having some confidence in yourself that's saying if i sit here i'm going to see a buck here or there's a yes. buck coming through here and yeah for me going to iowa or i know this area and i'm confident i'll see some deer because they're there but um I, in in other state like PA, uh, whether it's West Virginia or what, I'll run my cameras just to see. I try to leave them there from December just to see if what is there to kill. You know, I mean, some of these areas you get onto some public lands, they might be just some yearlings or something. You know, if you're yeah. wanting a mature deer. Um, but yeah, I definitely try to leave my cameras there if if, if it's possible. But um, one thing that you mentioned, and I guess we both have brought up is like October. And I think one thing to point out that at least this is my belief, I guess I don't, I'm not sure what you think on it, but I think that mature bucks still like move in October and absolutely you can get lucky and one makes a big move, but their movements are like this big. So it's like they're standing up and feeding and they may be on the edge of a clear cut or something. And they're just milling around within a little 50 yard circle. And Mm -hmm. it's like, damn tough to get in that bubble to get a bow shot that time of the year where when we're talking movement I, be, I guess i'm speaking for you on this tell me if you disagree when we're talking movement late season i picture more of those big moves where they might be moving 500 yards or yeah you know even middle of the day just moving from one bedding area to another based off of food or what's comfortable on those given conditions like if you got that really cold um windy day with a wind out of the north but a sunny you know with the sun's exposed you know those hillsides make 
more sense. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're making those moves as those conditions change or food sources change. And I guess not to, not to say that, you know, October, it can't happen. It just feels like you said, the odds are more in your favor for them to pick up and make a big shift. And I, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. That if we talk distances, I, I mean, yeah, I had some early, early season, first week, October to where I'd catch them going to the 300 yard mark and I could set up, we had some foliage, but as I got into the second October, second week of October, you know, hunting bigger, mature public land deer, you know, if I wasn't 150 yards, I wasn't in a ballpark, you know what I mean? And I feel like it might even have to be tighter than that, you know? And then oh, yeah. yeah, we fast forward to this time of year, I'm thinking 400 yards would be a satisfying number to use to say they would move, whether it be like you said, to a South slope or, um, you know, to another food source or just transitioning beds. That ain't, that ain't a big move. You know, I, I think, um, that definitely can help you out. You know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, and another thing is trying to get in to your spots. I know some of these areas have a lot of deer, and, and that's in, like some of the areas in Ohio that I hunt late season don't have a lot of deer. So you can get in, and then, you know, some of these areas, like in Iowa, I've hunted, it's like a domino effect where <laughs> the does are strung out and the bucks are in here, and then it's like mm-hmm. you hit one, it's just boom, 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 boom. So um, be careful of trying to you know where you're hunting and mindful of the the number of deer and then that's why i think sometimes i do the morning hunt whereas you kind of get in before you know they get all positioned for the day but Mm -hmm. um but i i I did learn here recently that be careful with your pressure because they can go right back into that um mind frame of hunting pressure like real super fast you know and you before you know it like you found a spot bump some deer i did it I told you that was the whole story was I was parking and the parking spot was on the Western side and I had to walk through with the wind at my back and, and there was some chestnut oaks and they were feeding a bumped a pack of does and they ran and I got on a ridge and I looked, there was a little bit of a bowl in the next ridge to the North. I seen a shooter buck and he ran. I'm like, all right, well, I didn't spook him too bad, which I, I didn't, you know, but I already alerted four or five does and that buck and a smaller buck. So I dropped the camera right where them does were at. There was a scraper. And the next day I walked it, you know, I, I was hunting like 10 to dark, you know, the next day. And it was so calm. And that's another thing, you know, you get a heavy frost or a cold morning and everything's dead calm and you're trying to get into your spot. Um, that's why I like to I talk about going in before light, how the, the some of these deer don't care about any noise an hour before light, you get into the gray light, they're, they're in tune to hunting pressure, but I'll go in an hour before I've walked up on numerous deer an hour before daylight. And they just look at you. Mm-hmm. They'll lay their doze of bed and just lay there and look at you. They'll let you walk up. You can get in a tree stand right there. I've done it mm-hmm. and they don't care. Oh, now yeah. gray light, that's a different story, but I, I put that camera out and I was, it was so cold in the morning. I was just hunting 10 to two. I said, well, there's a buck here, this and that, there's some doe I bumped. So I went the next day, I walked right to that camera and that buck was on there at eight o'clock in the morning. And I got there at 10 and he was like staring in a direction. It was, you know, it was one, one or two random pictures, but he was staring in the direction. I mean, it was a 600 yard walk from where I parked, but dead calm, quiet. He could probably hit. And, and I, and there was a pine thicket on a private just North of where I parked. And I grabbed that camera and I said to myself, I said, this deer already knows I'm here. I said, it's, it's overall. It's, I said, he probably laid just North of my parking spot and he's probably 
you know what I mean? And it, oh yeah. It, like I, I didn't think about it till I got in a tree stand and I'm hunting in it. And then, then all, it, it was a light snow too. That's right. Cause that's how, and he was coming from the North. All the deer were coming from the North. There was a clear cut. So I hunted there that day. And before dark, these does below me were snorting. I'm like, what are they doing? There's no deer tracks going down there. But here it was them does from a day before. Yeah. They went North all the tracks, but they did a big circle. So they wanted to smell me. And, and it was like, they all knew except me. I was the dumb one. I'm like, and then that next time I'm like, I, that, and I couldn't come in from the East because it was all private. So I wrote like this spot's it's done. They're like, mm-hmm. unless I come in here an hour and a half before light, you know, but this spot's ruined that fast. You could just really find it, but then it's, it's done. But then you could, that's just another, you know, you learning, learning, you know, curve. So well, I think it's, I think it's cool because, you know, there's so much, and I mean, a lot of, unfortunately, what is written or talked about often in hunting media is based off of somebody's hunting situation that's significantly different than what you and I are talking about right now. Oh, yeah. Just more pressured deer, mm-hmm. generally less timber type settings too, where you're dealing with more agriculture and more of that point A to point B yeah. type of movement in the evening. And a lot of people will sit there and tell you like in October and in, you know, December, January, they'll say, you know, you shouldn't be hunting in the mornings. That's the most incredible thing that like has been taught to people to me. Like mm-hmm. how did, how the hell that became a thing is just crazy, which I understand where some guys situations. Yeah. If you got a standing bean field in, most of the Midwest and, you know, there's been no hunting pressure other than like a few of your bow hunts here and there throughout the season. Well, yeah, when you, when you get a bunch of uh, snow coming in, you might as well just wait to slide in there in the afternoon and set up on the bean field. It does make sense. Yeah. Not denying it that, but like to say that every hunter should not hunt in the morning, it's like, that's totally situational. And I think it's cool that you do that because that was one of the first things on my list, like, do you hunt mornings, you know? And before yeah. I even asked the question, you you were saying, yeah, you know, I'll go in yeah. before, before daylight. So I just think that that's a, you know, just a cool opportunity too, because I always think of it like, well, if the deer in general, we talk about midday movement already, if they are moving these longer distances, generally their odds of being in their bedding area especially on a cold morning, even if the high that day is going to be up in the mid forties to 50, generally at night, it's still going to be down in the twenties. Odds are he's not laying in his bed alert, you know, 30 minutes before daylight in the late season, or maybe Mm -hmm. he is doing that when it's, you know, the highs are in the seventies in October or September. So I like that idea too, of just hunting mornings and being in, you know, tight to where they're coming back to versus you know trying to get in there later in the day because like you said they're a lot of times the conditions are more in their favor late season you got you know crunchy leaves a lot of mm-hmm. times you got you know you got no leaves on the trees to cover you from a you know opposite hillside things like that and i just think you know using dark to your advantage is probably one of the best things you can do and even if you end up setting up all day your days are so much shorter than they are in yeah, October. Right. It's easier to handle. Yeah. And if you look at it that way, it, like, Hey, I only have 
and they'll go fast if you if you especially when you get older like i only have so much time in general but, you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, so my ruts are winding down but um yeah for the season or the day itself it's like i only have so much great time let's let's get out there and take advantage and that comes back to like how you got your three or four day hunt it's easy to stay in a tree all day for three to four days if, if that's all you have so totally totally but it is it is uh, that is a big thing is the entrance I couldn't get into these areas that I wanted to hunt and I really wanted to hunt these areas. And that's how I said, you know, man, I'm, I'm going in before light and getting there before the, you know, for the rest of the deer and, and just wait it out. And it usually works out. Yeah. I was going to ask too, is there anything else access wise that you make adjustments for? Because I feel like that's a struggle for me. Like, you know, in the times that I've had, you know, good action in a spot in October, for example, I could go back to that same spot and take the same route in, but now we're dealing with, you know, twice as much leaf matter on the ground, which if it's dry is going to be extremely crunchy sound travels further, you know, the visual from their perspective in their bedding area is much further. Like what are some of the adjustments that you make in regard to that? um, If you're not going in in the dark, Man, I think everywhere I'm planning a hunt, like or in Iowa and Illinois here the next two weeks, I'm thinking before light, you know, like I'm taking, put all my eggs in one basket. But I mean, yeah, I might do some evening stuff, but I've, I've known that you get, catch them going to a food source in the evening. Um, you know, I might do, if you don't get in in the morning, maybe like an Oak Ridge or something to get in. 10 11 to you know maybe there's some wind you could take advantage of or if it's rain but yeah a lot of times just even in october i guess i look at the weather to see if we got a little bit of a um wind advantage and even if it's sometimes if i got a little bit of a wind i'll go into areas that are gray light you know but it's just covering but if i don't have to be in there before light you know but um yeah maybe some wind cover but i am i am going to do a lot more just because the times that I've hunted the evenings in these public land areas um, and you maybe have a food source or feeding on catch them come to it. Just, man, the does will, will get you, you know, it's, it's tough to pull one over on them. And this, is, this ain't their first rodeo, you know? So um, we, we end have a lot of spots. If, if you're going to, you know, be aggressive with your areas. Um, I have a lot of spots in general because they just, you know, whether you bump a deer or like this year in PA, I had one area got logged and then another guy moved in and hung a ladder stand right by my spot. And I just leave, you know, I just, I just move on. I don't. Mm-hmm. And then the one area was uh, some old well roads, this buck was living around and then they hear they come through and they clean them all up. They spent a lot of time in there. So like just in, you know, and then another point that I was hunting, I bumped this buck twice off of. So there was like a half a dozen good bucks that I was hunting and I you know, whether I blew it or, or, or someone, um, something other than me, uh, messed up where these deer were living. So try to have a lot of spots in mind where you can go to, you know, if you, if you make a mess, you know, you mess up this spot, man, you just got to keep, I mean, yeah, go with your best spot first, but then you got to have a ton of backup. But then there is a, like, comes into play when you got the four days you're like what do i do you know do i just bite the bullet and hunter or go find a better spot you know it, it kind of then it just kind of you just use your judgment in general i guess because mm-hmm. you know and just learn as you go sometimes you know mm-hmm. kind of deal but um yeah 
So one thing that I also heard you mention when you're telling the story about the spot where the buck, you, you thought the buck, you know, knew you were there before, um, mm-hmm. before you even got there, you mentioned putting your camera on a scrape. How much like, uh, weight do you put on buck sign? So I know you talk about food, but like, for yeah, example, yeah. are you still looking for some amount of buck sign around those food sources? Like, let's say you find a white oak and you get to the base of it and there's all this feeding sign. Is that good enough? Just the tracks and the turned over leaves, or are you looking for scrapes and rubs and stuff like that still to kind of confirm a buck's using it or not? Yeah. I think if you got a scrape that, you know, it's been pawed up, you know, or look for a track in there. Um, we were in Ohio that last day, uh, and them them deer walked this whole ridge i think we went probably 700 yards and there was barely a skiff of snow and they dropped down the one side and we seen um some black and red oaks they were feeding on and harry's with me and i, I said man we could set up here but then i i said these are all dough they're, they're, there's no i mean there was four or five scrapes there and they haven't been hit in you know this was december 16th 18th and and there was a bunch of small tracks in the scrape and some piles of doe shit, just of all the, just one spot or the small doe shit walked around under all these oak trees. I'm like, and we were getting down near the road. I said, I don't think there's a buck. I said, it's a good spot for a camera. Cause in another couple of weeks, maybe a buck might be, be in here. But um, in that situation, we didn't even hunt. I said, I, I just feel like there's a pack of does in here, living here and feeding here. Um, but yeah, I, I looked at the scrapes and they were all doe tracks in there and you know gauge on when the last rain was you know how, how many fresh tracks are and then you could see you, you can even see if it was pawed maybe before the rain it, it just nothing touched none of those scrapes i said i think we just waste our time here but if you can find me yeah, a scrape because these does if they get a certain weight or something they can come into heat these young deer i've noticed that in the areas that you know have have a fair amount of dough so yeah these bucks will come come and check these you know open these scrapes up in around these feeding areas mm-hmm. um but yeah if you can find that feeding and, and check for some scraping activity where it's a field edge or on a ridge or something uh, that'll help you out you know so yeah i agree i looking. feel yeah. i feel like the scrapes are something that in recent years probably the last four years since we started doing doing the the drives in the late season the thing that is like a very consistent pattern is when we get back as a group and there's a been action like we actually got a visual on a buck i mean hell there's plenty of these drives where we don't see any deer or Mm -hmm. maybe a doe or two but when we come back as a group and we see bucks on that drive somebody almost always bumps into a fresh scrape and it's not necessarily like the same look of a scrape as what you would find in late October or when you find that real hot spot in November or whatever. But generally speaking, somebody has seen and generally filmed. So a lot of times they're in videos that that we have of these hunts where somebody's actually got footage of a fresh scrape that you can tell there's, you know, Mm -hmm. track marks in from that day or, you know, the last couple days and, Almost every time we find that, boom, there's a buck in that yeah. bedding area that we're driving. And it's it's pretty cool to see that because, you know, kind of, again, going back 10, 15 years ago when I was younger, I, you know, I kind of just bought into the idea that, no, you know, 
scrapes don't really matter you know they dry up mid-november it's like yeah, yeah, i don't yeah. really believe that at all anymore i mean yeah, now i've seen yeah. open scrapes in march in turkey season, yeah. you know in turkey's yeah. season down south so it's like you know i think i think deer in general hit scrapes all year but it does seem like when they've got actual hoof marks in them where you can tell they've been mm-hmm. scraping in there recently there's generally a buck somewhere close doesn't mean you're gonna see him but yeah. it definitely can help boost your confidence. Yeah, that, that's probably, yeah, that seems right with like what I see too. And just if they're there, they're going to, whether some other deer passed on because of the hunting season or, you know, they move around and maybe ward does are coming to heat, they're, they're going to definitely hit that. So, yeah, that's definitely, if you're looking for a buck pretty much, and probably, probably that camera I put that scrape on, I'd say it was, he probably hit it, you know, and that's mm-hmm. probably why I put it there. You know, I didn't put it just on the oaks itself, you know. Something that just popped into my mind that, I don't know, maybe this is too out in left field for the situation, but for our conversation, but probably not. So one thing that I mentioned right at the beginning, kind of that very first thing I talked about, you know, that question I asked was like, you go into public areas and you're not seeing the sign that you once did. And again, having more, you know, several years now, I guess four, I think this will be our fifth year doing it. Like hunting as a group in the late season. It's really interesting to me to have that group kind of scouting mission on every hunt. Obviously we're hunting and the goal is to shoot a buck, but like one of the things that's the most valuable to me is just being able to get everybody's opinion on what certain sign means, what type of sign they saw. And one thing that's really crazy is we can be on one of these drives where we end up bumping a buck, somebody sees one, shoots at one, we get one, whatever. And it almost always seems like one guy comes back or maybe maybe half the guys come back with a report of like, dude, it's on fire in there. It's, it's blown up. But then the guy right on the other side of the ridge didn't see a track, you know, didn't see even a trail that was being used. And I think that the reason I bring this up is it does seem like in the late season you can be just off. Like they can be making some sort of pattern or their loop, for example, in a bigger timber setting may be from this ridge down and back up to this one, but they're not hardly ever going this direction. Yeah. And it, I guess the reason that I started to believe that that could be true is coming back and getting reports from everybody. It's like if you got guys coming in from all different directions, generally speaking, part of the group sees a lot of sign and there's usually half or maybe even just a one or two guys that come back and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It didn't look that good. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the other guy's just like hitting five scrapes along the way, big tracks. And it's just, I guess, so what does that mean? I guess the reason I say that is, is it means even if you're not finding it right out of the gate, doesn't mean you should always bail on the spot. Maybe, you know, again, you can also like guys like you and I can get real down the rabbit hole and never stop looking, but it's like, maybe you just got to keep going one, one more ridge, you know, one more yeah. you know, finger out. And then all of a sudden, boom, there they are. And I just think that it comes down to betting opportunities, those betting opportunities in relation to food, what food sources are dropping. And I mean, one side of the ridge might have it, the other might not. And I just, I guess find that pretty interesting too, because it does seem like 
the sign gets spread out, but when you find it, generally, it's pretty concentrated in the top. Yeah, that's definitely in this area that I've been hunting in Ohio. It's it's these certain, like the spot we went Monday morning. I said, we're going up on that mountain. There's always bucks up there in the winter, and you get up there, and there was an inch of snow from the no half inch, and there wasn't any tracks. I said, hey, and there's no sign of life up there. There ain't a rub. There ain't a piece of deer shit anywhere, but I said, we're going to, we didn't end up getting up in a tree. We just found a big old oak and a dead stump. I said, we're going to sit right here. I said, these bucks live up on this mountain, you know, and, and, uh, we um some, well, it was before light, but some does come down off. Of, she heard us. She was out on our ridge and she cried. I could see a valley and another finger. She she went down and on art and then looked back at us and snored snored and I said damn it so um, but there was a buck out there with her we seen her 120 he wasn't sure what was going on and he followed her he wasn't too spooked you know about 120 yards and then another buck then a couple I'm like I told you it's like it's like there's like no rhyme or reason you know and, and I start to learn areas that I hunt and then like up the road there's another mountain that has a little bit of green briar on this one don't have nothing on it you could like see 150 yards but there's one that has a little green briar and these couple fingers it's like there's always a buck up there and you get to the ones like you said that it's just it's dead so once you put so many years in the woods and you start learning and then even up in pa where my place is it's and i was thinking today because my buddy's up there hunting and he doesn't know the area real good. And it doesn't have a lot of terrain. It's kind of gradual. But I'm sending him pins and areas. Hey, these bucks are always here in the winter. You know, and like you said, I said, if he ain't there, go over here. You're, you know, and bow hunting's tough in that, them big mountains there. You know, but like you said, if you can get into them, it really, like, narrows down where they're at. It'll kind of, like, whoosh, you yeah. know, to where they're like this in October. And then boom there's these spots that you get into and then there's all the sign right there and i said if you don't see any sign of feeding in there go to this spot and it's these little and you might catch them in between like you said traveling as they do which they will but you want to be in them spots where all the sign is and i think it's just a matter of time like you said whether you have a whole clan of guys putting drives on or you're out there yourself year after year after year hiking and walking or your buddies go down and shed hunting and you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you're like this is a good spot you know and mm -hmm. It just seems like that one ridge all the time has. And last year I was down there muzzleloader and I, and it was a cloudy day and it was dead calm. And I wanted to get to that spot. And, and I, I blew two, like it was in last hour or so before I said, I need to get out, hunt this ridge. And like I said, it was a, a kind of a, a finger. And then there was another finger that went this way. And it was a just a nice va valley. I mean, I was way up high and I said, I need to get right there. And I blew a couple dough last year and i was like man and they run and i said well and then there was the main ridge that went this way and then there was these two spurs i was sitting at the base of them but and i went out just because it i blew that and they ran that way where i figured the, the rest of the deer were and there was a big buck in there and, and just like this is going back years when i found this spot it was a muzzleloader season eight seven eight years ago in inch of snow on the ground and i it was so crunchy. I said, I'm just going to get up on that spine and just walk and look down. And it was before light. I hiked all the way up on his spine and I looked down. There's buck tracks. I mean, on top of buck tracks, on top of buck tracks. I'm like, what, what is this? You know? 
and, and you know we hunted there in october like october and this and that you won't see a deer or a random deer and i don't know if i ever told you the story but it was pretty wild so i walked the spine all the way out and the buck tracks kind of went to them two uh spurs you know that headed a little bit like north and the main ridge went you know west so i followed that main ridge and, and then tracks went this way and i went out and i'm just looking down just i don't know it's it, uh, more i could just post all day but i was wanting to man i got a gun in my hand i remember and, and I, I just wanted to hike so i didn't have a lot of clothes for uh sitting so i hiked out that ridge and on the way back right where them two spurs come off that main ridge i seen a maybe 140 inch buck standing there and i was like oh shit <laughs> it was like 100 yards from me zach so he was standing two spurs come this way and then there was another there was a big valley down in here so like i was he dropped down in that valley so i took off running <laughs> and i knew because that valley dropped down like 150 feet i said i could see him so i run to the edge and i look down he's running down he's about 120 some yards now with maybe a 120 inch buck I go to pull my gun up and there's another 135, 140 inch buck standing here 40 yards looking at me. I never seen <laughs> so then I look like this and he drops off the mountain that way. I'm like, oh man. So the two first original ones that went down, they went down and I end up going out, going to the east, all the way out that ridge. I said, maybe I'll see him coming back up or something so i went all the way out there right and i got posted out there about 500 yards maybe i'll catch those two and i went to get my binoculars i had a hoodie on with a pouch in front you know i was like man i had my binoculars oh, no. i said i lost them when i ran that 100 yard sprint to them deer i said i mean i gotta go get my binoculars i hiked all the way back and right before i got to the spot where i sprinted to look at that buck um that belled over the hill there was grandpa standing there <laughs> i swear to god and he was like he looked at me and he bailed off the hill this way i'm like oh <laughs> that's crazy that's, that's crazy. crazy i found my binoculars but ever since that time i mean it was probably the best winter hunting story i had like i yeah. didn't do any good but the, and ever since that i was like every january um I'm not going to make it, I don't think, in Ohio because I'm going to Iowa and Illinois. Um, but I was wanting to get down there and hunt the, the muzzleloader. But maybe mm -hmm. on my way back from Illinois, I'll get the bow hunt up there, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's weird. Like you said, they just get, I don't know, man. They just feel king of a mountain or something or just feel safe on certain ridges and stuff like that. That you know. It seems like late know. season, when they get up on those high points, it seems like one of the advantages that they get on like a calm day specifically, yeah. we just get that real nice high yep. pressure thermals are pulling up. I mean, obviously the wind is in their favor if it's pulling up, but it mm -hmm. does just seem like when you lose all the leaves and everything, you can just see so far from those places that it's almost like they have more of a tendency to go up to those high points where other times of the year, you might see them on that first level down or maybe in a bowl, but it does seem like, man, you get a really good like late season, high pressure, calm morning. And they kind of congregate up on those high, high ridges where they can see a lot, even if they're moving, you know, in the evening way down into a bottom or something, they tend to, to go up. But also, I guess not to get too far from your story. The one thing that I think is crazy about that one is 
like you had been through there so many times and it's like there's still more in there and it just yeah really opens your eyes to like what you might be missing (laughs) i know (laughs) like just think if you wouldn't have lost your binos i know (laughs) i dropped my camera i dropped the camera there this year in september and i went down it didn't end up working but um yeah, that was that was a crazy, and that was another one of those days that you look forward to. Like Ohio, don't get much snow, but mm-hmm. I think I saw somewhere like in the two or three days I gun hunted there, seventeen buck. And you know, once I seen them when I was passing some good deer, you know, high twenties or thirty inch deer. That was back in the day, but um, man, it could they were congregated up and they get in areas that they're safe that no one's been, or like you said, I think too though the the lack of wind just they could hear you coming from a long mm-hmm. way um and even when i i know they heard me walking on that ridge and they were like there's no idiots ever up here in this time you know and they and that's mm-hmm. what they were all like looking like who are you what do you do you know what <laughs> you don't belong up here no one ever yeah. comes up here in january <laughs> there's my dumb ass walking around <laughs> doesn't mean and there they go running over the hill but um and I think if, if there is a breeze, like um, they can just drop down in elevation. A lot of these bucks I find bedding, whether it is in the January or, you know, if I like here in December when I was doing some driving in PA, you know, it don't take much for them to get out of the wind. It could be just a log or, or just down 10 feet elevation and they'll lay right there. Don't, you know, don't take much um, for them to disappear. Um, Actually, but, uh, something that I wanted to share with you because I, I feel like you'll, You'll appreciate this. When I was out hunting mule deer in the plains, I was at, did that quite a bit this season, and uh, probably about two weeks total. And one of the most interesting things, and I'd seen it before, but it's always good to get a, a refresher because I like hunting very opposite uh, types of habitat to compare what you see in one spot to another, right? Like mm-hmm. For example, what I learned hunting in open country, to to some, it may be like, oh, well, that those things that you learn there won't matter in the timber. And I completely disagree. Mm-hmm. Hunting in those open settings and hills, there's a lot of terrain features that are very similar to a PA, Ohio, West Virginia, all the way, you know, down to Georgia, for example. And one of the most consistent things, and we and we hear it all the time when referencing deer bedding and buck bedding and stuff like that, but if you had a wind that, like before daylight was kind of established, you know, it was already up 10, 15 mile an hour out of, let's just say the west, mm-hmm. the consistency of deer hanging on east-facing slopes of the wind coming over the top was just like guaranteed. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't even at, at a certain point you wouldn't even waste your time glassing when you'd first get to a spot glassing the you know windward side of the yeah. hill you just start making mental notes of like okay wind's coming this way i'm going to start looking in that pocket then that pocket mm-hmm. then that pocket and on days where the wind would shift let's say you had like a a south wind switching to northwest when that wind shifted, deer would move. So, again, what are what are our takeaways from a timber setting? Well, if you're looking at the weather and you see, okay, tomorrow we're going to have a northwest wind all day, maybe that's when you 
kind of start eliminating eliminating yep. potential. Windward. Yeah. Yep. So you, so okay. Yeah, I love this spot. You know, out of my top five spots, three of them really only set up for the deer to be there on a south wind. So I'm going to only now look at these two spots. So mm-hmm. I think that really just helps you go in with confidence. And then on top of that, talking about these late season movements, midday movements, or even during earlier parts of the season, if that wind makes a midday shift, that might be that window when you're going to catch right. him making that mistake and making that move. And I just feel like, you know, while I've heard these things, when you see it for yourself in an open country setting and just day in and day out, it's so consistent to where, I mean, dude, I'm talking never see deer on the windward side. Yeah, never. Yeah. So, like, what do you think's happening timber? I mean, it's got to be the same mm-hmm. thing at least, at least like 95% of the time. And I think I've played that, you know, I've always played it that way, but it just helps build your confidence for playing it that way when you're getting to see it every single time where on days when you're hunting the timber, you know, just as well as I do, like it might be five days before you even see a deer yeah. and your confidence might start to kind of yeah. Oh, yeah. drop. But now, I guess in them areas you hunted this year, like, would you see them visually when the wind would shift to move to different, it was mm-hmm. Cause I, I've heard that, you know, like Bill on his radio caller deer, he's seen how they shift, mm-hmm. but this year in one time particular, just my cameras picked it up to where I had a South slope going up as hollows in PA and they were feeding. It was a fresh cut, um, kind of open some ferns early October. Um, and they would, it was East West hollow and, and the wind blew right up the hollow and then up that South slope there was a bull and I know they were, you know, it was a little bit thicker and they were bedding up there and they were coming out and feeding, um, on that South slope. Well, I had a buck going, what big deer, probably 160 inch deer. The one I was after he was, he went in at daylight, seven o'clock. And by that, right there at that time, there wasn't much of a thermal. It was like nothing happened and just kind of stagnant air. And I had him going in. And then, um, that evening I had that buck down the hollow probably 600 yards there's a little drain a little spring in that hillside i had him there at um seven o'clock in the evening but he came from the down hollow side so at some point what happened that day in the wind was he was expecting a southwest or a south wind that blows up the hollow and we had a east wind come in for a week right so i had him and another big buck that lived they were both pushing 160 up in that bowl and he ended up that morning going in and somehow he made his way all the way downstream to the downwind of oh, that the, with an east wind it blew down the hollow so i ended up hunting you know for that first few days i was hunting the, the one buck that hung out and was coming out that stayed there and we we saw him we didn't get a shot and then it stayed east and I didn't have any cameras way down the hollow where I, this pocket where I figured he bedded that the one that moved down and, and I just had a midway, you know, in a little drainage, but he come from that way, but he somehow made a full circle when he went into bed and the wind wasn't right. Somehow he went all the way downstream and, and it was, we, and it was just a big mountain setting. And we went in the one uh, evening, I said, if we went in up the Creek and I said, I think he's laying up here. You know, and we went up the hill and we were going to catch him when the thermals dropped. We went up and set up on him. And he, uh, that's where he was. We saw him 
for some reason the wind shifted and I dropped my floaters and it was going for 10 seconds when we heard a deer cough, you know, and I said that like I, I told the story when on camera and we walking up the hollow, like, and he's been following me, Harry, you know, and these are huge mountain settings. He's like, how's this guy know? Like, like I'm telling myself, I think this buck's laying up here. We got a spring. I can see some beat. Like, I'm like, yeah. like, but drawing, you draw a lot of conclusions in these big areas that are vast. Cause you have to, cause there's no, I mean, you know, as much as you can, but I, we got up on a hillside there and he, um, we heard a cough and uh, the floaters went that way for 10 cents. He ran up the hill and that was him, but that was the one instance. And I try to find that what you said is where, you know, you have a change in the wind because here, here's how it works at the beginning of the day. They don't know the wind. Hmm. They're only going off maybe what the day before was or what like this. But once the stuff starts moving and changing, you know, they're going to, you know, try to get that into their advantage as they set up for an evening movement to this or that or just in general so i think he was an older deer and um hey we bumped him uh, he smelled us and we got we sent the next morning we got set up in the same spot we we ended up bumping him in the dark i mean we never seen him but then uh and then that was the last time i ever seen him you know i ran i ran cameras there for him and we saw that other big one i had my bow back on him up the hollow you know and that was that first three four days of october then hey it was like you know, like pixie dust sprinkled on me and disappeared. Trying to find a needle in a haystack. Really yeah, gone. It was it. We had we had that one little small window, and then and it just it was gone after that. And you was just like you, you just got to move on. You know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I I, I want to take more advantage of that. But like you said, definitely the leeward side. You know, is where you, where you're going to find these deer in the winter. And, and like I said, I, I know that's what. And I'm always asking myself when I'm up there seeing these deer. And like, um, now that Harry's been with me, I like, this is what, after a deer comes through, it's not just like, oh yeah, I saw a deer. Like when we rifle hunted the one day down in Ohio, we on this point and it was, you know, I said, they're in his bowl, you know, and, and I, uh, got set up on his point, expect him to come out of his bowl. And we heard it, you know, I gave a grunt and then a deer snorted down here before dark. And I, and I told Harry, I said, that was a buck. I said, how do you know? I said, because here's what happened. It was probably the buck that has him in his bowl. He was probably for some reason over here. I said, he'd come down before dark and got down one of us and smelled us, you know, but like, like even the other night, the other day down in Ohio, I'm always asking myself what's going on when I was up on that mountain, and, you know, and just, I randomly look and I seen a doe come off our hillside and going up the other hillside. And I, and then she turned and looked and I'm like, how'd she see us? This is like hundred, but she already heard. I said, here's what happened. And like I explained what happened in a deer's, you know world what's going on these does saw us and they went down and then what happened was the buck kind of followed and then when that buck fall i hit the little bleak can you know and then out where um they come from i seen a little buck you know a little four point and he ended up coming toward and i told her i said hey um he heard me um give the bleak can maybe 10 minutes earlier and he's coming at I said, he's going to come in because he's coming to check us out. And he come into 50 yards and he was just kind of like looking around, like, <laughs> you know, I heard. And he's kind of like, like side on by the trees. Like, you know, I heard something over there. There's our girlfriend for me over there. And then he goes walking back out of sight. And I said to him, I said, hey, that buck's not by himself. And I seen a flash of another deer when he came in. I said, there's another buck over there. How do you know? I said, 
Because I just know, like, this, I've been up on this, these bucks hang out together. That that one buck followed them doe, you know, and she heard us here, and she got up on the other hillside, eyeballed us, and she'd gone, and that buck went. I said, but this one, when he come to her, I said, there's another buck here, man. He's mm-hmm. And they, they went back down over the hill, but you just start – if you're in the woods enough, you start like learning their language and what's going on. And I always ask myself, what happened here in this situation to you? You come up with an answer that makes sense. And then you learn yourself, like, you know, reading your cameras or just every hunting situation you're in, you're starting to tell the story of what they're doing. What And I always say like, they're coming, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of times you'll give a grunt or something and this deer just comes weird, like 10 minutes later, look, and I said, that deer's coming to see what this grunt was. You know what I mean? And a lot of times I don't sit still long enough after I give the grunts because, uh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you want instant gratification. <laughs> you know, where is then, yeah, yeah. Then, then 20 minutes later, they, you know, you're moving like this and moving around and they snort at you, you know? So it's funny you say that though, because one time. I know I do the same thing. Like I'll just make up, I mean, make up or I guess for more technical term, like theor, make a theory on theory of, yeah, exactly. What was happening. And yeah, I read this comment. It's been several years now, but I read this comment that said something along the lines of like, Zach's the master at making up things that like, just making things up about what deer are thinking or something along those lines. Yeah. And I thought, well, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. why wouldn't you be doing that? I'm not, by no means do I believe I'm right a hundred percent of the time, but I think as you theorize different things that are happening in a deer's mind or why they're making certain moves, I mean, you do start to find little patterns over time. And therefore those are things that are at the very least going to give you confidence to just go commit to doing something. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise, if you don't have any theory, what would make you ever feel confident in anything really? Like mm-hmm. even, even as simple as like, just finding, you know, an edge leading to an ag field, massive trail on it, rubs and scrapes all up and down. It's like the most obvious thing ever. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a theory that a deer is going to come through there yeah. because of that sign. Like you're making these theories all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel like I need to defend, <laughs> defend myself on making things up, but like everything in hunting is a theory. So if you're not critically yeah. thinking about certain things, you're going to limit yourself on, on what you can learn. And I, I guess one thing that I did want to mention, cause I do, I think I have some footage of this and I don't know that we, I can't remember if we ever put this in a video or not, but two seasons ago we were hunting mule deer and, um, it was late December. So this was like right before Christmas, like sometime in the week before Christmas. And, um, it was a really calm morning, like eerie calm, no wind, nothing. And Keith and I got up on this glassing point and we were looking on one hillside and we start picking up on some, some deer and a few, a couple of smaller type bucks. And that day the wind was supposed to, there's a wind advisory for later in the day and about, I don't know, let's say 11 o'clock, it was supposed to pick up to, you know, above 30 some mile an hour. And I remember you could see across the plains, you could see that wind coming, but where we were, it was still calm. And as soon as that wind hit the deer, they freaked out. Like you saw them stand up out of their bed, look around and just take off running. Well, all of a sudden deer start coming out of the woodwork. They're coming out of these little cuts and everything because they're all making these big moves 
to shift into a position that's better for their, you know, wind advantage, I guess, and just simply comfort, you know, like obviously mm -hmm. if you're sitting there and the wind's just slamming you in the face, that's not real comfortable even for, for deer. So I just find that pretty interesting and just a really great example of getting a visual on that. And I think, again, the reason I bring this up is I've heard people talk about this in the past, but it's like until I saw it with my own eyes, yeah. it became hard to plan to commit time to it. It's like, ah, yeah, they move, they'll do a midday shift. But like, what are the odds that one's actually going to do that at 1.30 PM on October 21st? Mm -hmm. Well, now I got a hell of a lot more confidence because I've seen it than I yeah. did beforehand. That's, or, I'm, I'm a lot like you in that situation where like, yeah, I heard about this or this, but once I, like you said, it's the con once I seen this actually happen, I'm like, oh yeah. And then you start this, this is what they were saying. <laughs> yeah, this is, but no, I, I am a lot like you. Like once I learn it from the deer and that's why I've always learned from the deers. Once I see it, okay, I could take this to the bank because this, mm -hmm. this is what they're doing, you know? Um, but yeah, a lot for me is like, yeah, whatever, you, you know, that's what you, that's how you hunt. But then once you see this actually take place and you learn from like, oh yeah, I got it now, now, and now. But I think I'm, I'm a lot like you in that sense that I've heard things, you know, over the years, I don't listen to many pod or just podcasts or people talk in general. Like, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It might linger there a little bit, but it's not like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Or I need it. But it's just in there somewhere. And then you get in a situation. It's like, boom. I'm like, oh, okay. That now makes that's sense right. now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. One, one other thing, too, that I just I'm just dying to share this because it's on my mind. And I, and I, again, I feel like you'll appreciate it is, so we ended up shooting a mule deer and back in early December and it was in a spot. I'm, I think I mentioned it in the video, like we had been to and past that spot. I mean, countless times we had driven past there or, you know, made stalks and places close by or glass those hills. And one of the things that I'm excited about taking to timber settings where you can't see as much, I guess, is what that sign in that bedding area looked like. And I don't know if I'm going to get my point across really well, but it's ultimately like a confidence thing. So one day when we first got back there on the second trip in early December, it would have been like the third, we parked the truck walked up on the hill where we ultimately shot a buck, you know, five days later. And when we walked up there on that bench where that buck was bedded, there was a handful of fresh beds and some were pretty big. Like, eh, you know, bucks are probably using these beds. Mm -hmm. And I remember pointing at him as I was walking up the hill ahead of Cole, like, Hey, check this out. And, you know, he got a little video clip of him and he pans over and ironically pans over to our truck sitting in the exact, exact spot where the buck ended up going down that we shot that was bedded in those beds. Yeah, yeah. But what I guess I found the most interesting about that particular spot, as well as several other ones that we hunted in throughout that whole, you know, two week time frame in November and December was you can see those beds are used. Mm -hmm. But not every single day, based on a variety of factors like wind direction, wind speed, sun, clouds, precipitation, they may or may not be there. And it's interesting because that's really open country, so you can see a lot. Mm 
Yeah. But in the grand scheme, I don't necessarily know that there was, it, it feels that there's a high deer density, but I think it might just be because you can see so far where if you're actually looking per square mile, I don't know that it would be a whole lot different than some of the places that we've hunted in timber settings. But yeah. I guess where I'm going with this is when I go back to hunting timber spots, when I find these bedding pockets like that, where there's a few well-used beds, even if I go in there and hunt, let's say I go in there and hunt on day two of a seven day trip, just because I don't see one in there, it may just mean that I guessed yeah, like the wrong conditions for them to be there or mm-hmm. just for whatever reason that day they weren't there. Not, and, and maybe just don't give up on that spot so soon where yeah. I feel like sometimes in timber when I'm struggling, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like that's probably not good enough. Like there's not that much sign here. It's like, yeah, 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 it may yeah, not yeah. have to be that crazy because yeah. you just got to be there at the right time, the right day, the right conditions. And yeah, I think, yeah. you know, again, I don't know if I'm getting a, a whole a ton of a point across other than if the sign's there and it's fresh, just trust it. Like yeah. just commit to it. Sometimes yeah. I struggle with that. I, I do I mean, too. I'm I'm up in the big woods and you want that, you know, I'm trying to hunt here and then go to the next state and this, and I want to say, I got to have all, you know, you're almost looking for too much. You know, you almost want, <laughs> you almost want them to be laying there when you walk up to your stand where that, I mean, that ain't. Yeah. I do. Like, <laughs> yeah. And where it's like, John, that's not going to happen. You know, you, some, and, and I've learned that in my experience in the past where after I left and I was like, that was the best spot. I should have just stayed there, but I was wanting more trying to find in like you said in in them bigger woods that you're not, you're only going to get so much and then i know in october like this year you know once that leaf litter's down you you're you know you're not going to see hardly any trails and stuff like that you get up in these big oak ridges and it's just a puddle of leaves that you can't even see through we got a we got up this we went up this one ridge and it was a warm day it was like november 4th and man, a bunch of rubs in these pines. He was crossing this ridge, you know, and I'm like, man, it just felt good. I'm like, ah, we got to find a little more and we're going down the hill. And I'm like, I'm going to go down here last year. I've seen they were feeding down here, but with all that leaf, then you're not seeing no sign down there. Then we're 200 feet down the elevation. I'm like, oh, man, I don't feel like walking. We should have stayed up there. You know what I mean? Then before you know, you come all the way out of the woods. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? You're just banging your head against the wall yeah. till you quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we get out of the woods and then, and then we went to another spot. Sometimes, you know, we stayed there three days. And I said, we never found what we found on where that buck was. I said, that buck's crossing that ridge at Empines. I said, we should have stayed there. I said, we could have killed that deer right there. That was the best sign. So we went in our first day at gun and we went right on a ridge and it was so cold and windy. And we were walking, we were looking down the windward side. Um, there was a road down the leeward side. Um, but we, we built a little fire there on top of the mountain and we sat there and, but we, as we went North up the Ridge, it, it increased in elevation. There was like a mountain. And so we stayed till 11 o'clock looking down the hill. And I said, man, this wind's kind of crazy. I said, let's, let's go further out the Ridge where we could look down the, the, the leeward side because the road kind of disappears from us, you know, and, and we went like 50 yards up the hill and I could see the leeward side, like we were ready to there was maybe another 50 foot in elevation and he was right behind me and and i looked 
look the north up the ridge and then the back side the leeward side was thick i'm like look how thick that is just like that and that's when that buck he was standing right there and that thick stuff but when, when we went back there to gun season he had beds and scrapes and i dropped the camera right there i said he's right here man this sucker's here so we sat there to 11 and if I knew that that leeward side was uh, had all that thick stuff, maybe we would have hunted a little higher. But he was a big old buck, and he ran up, and we tried following him. But like you said, you try to find you get in that big mountain setting, and you try to find too much sign that you're not going to have. And then here we were back there, and you know, gun season, and we spent a couple of days there. And then now you're starting to see sign from all through November, and it's now it's becoming obvious this whole area is good, but back then I, I knew it was just because all the rubs he put there he he was telling us it was good but sometimes like you said i i, I myself is i'm trying to find where i can get it done and you know and it, it might take you four days that's just oh, yeah. how it is in the big west setting but you want to find it to where up oh, i'm sitting here for an iron and it's going to happen so you keep looking and pressing on for that extra sign and yeah. and, and you like you said you, you don't find it but as to your story this year we found a I was kind of looking for another ridge um, that kind of imitated what I saw where all these bucks were living in Ohio. So I found another ridge and it was just a, a ridge, a saddle, a little bit of a saddle. Then I went up maybe 80 feet and it was about 400 yard ridge narrow and then a steep point. And uh, I was, I remember I went up there um, and dropped the camera and or no, I wanted to drop a camera. I grabbed one lower on elevation and it was dark. It was at night. I was grabbing a camera and I went up on that top and there was beds all on that. It was just his own little mountaintop. Like I said, the saddle was here and then it went about three or 400 yards and it dropped off and it was only 50 yards, you know, gradual. There was buck beds all over the top. And uh, we dropped the camera. This was probably second week, October. And, uh, went back ain't one buck on there you know what i mean but it, it was uh it was while we was having them east winds so i think he was living on the downwind side of the ridge the ridge was east west so he was on a he was on a western side and i think he lived there through october and then the wind shifted to a southwest and he moved rut and this and that and i think hunting pressure bumped him out of there so we went back air rifle i said well let's try that and we watched that saddle and i and i dropped the camera there and that was the first gun season we went back on the 17th 18th for the second gun season and, and it's another thing when I start having a lot of time to hunt, I start taking shortcuts a little bit. Like when you have that three day, like I said, four day window that you hunt, you're doing everything right. If you have a few cameras, I'm going to get them at night. I don't want to mess nothing up because I only got a three day to hunt. I want to ruin it. So we went down and we've been hunting a lot. So I went down there and um, got there a day early to check a couple cameras. And I checked one lower elevation. I said, I should so I should run up and get that one on that saddle re leading up to that, you know, that, that one single um, ridge where them buck beds were, you know? And I was going to check it at night after dark. I was going to go up there when I wouldn't bother nothing, but no, I snuck up there at three o'clock dead calm day. I mean, I snuck up the, the mountainside to that saddle. Then I, I mean, but still it was, you could hear miles away, you know, we're on top of the hill, grabbed a camera and there was a shooter there living up there. It was probably the same one that was earlier, but now the pressure's gone. Um, we're talking, he was there early December, you know, no one's around and he ended up moving back in there. And, and so the next day was the first day, the, this two day gun and we sat there and, and there was a lot of deer coming and going up there, but I, 
I effed it up because I, I, I shortcutted and I went and grabbed that camera instead of waiting till dark and getting it. I think I would have killed that deer. It was a big seven point. But um, yeah, it was another situation where it just took him time to, once you find that in them beds, yeah, he was bedding there on the east wind through October. And then I think a lot of hunting pressure, you know, into gun season and no east winds blew him out of there. But then it was that same situation I found on another ridge where all these bucks live. I said, I bet you whatever buck was living there, he moved back in there and hell if he didn't. And there was a couple other bucks with him. But then I ruined it. I'm like, damn. But yeah, I, I'll, I'll start taking them shortcuts because I'm like, you, you know, you get a little sloppy and and being out there all the time and you, you're, yeah, I got to grab cameras. I'd rather do it all. Yeah, I'm going to get this one. You know, I there's ones I dropped that I get, you know, during a daylight that I can access and I'm not going to bother deer, but it's that one. I had to go up on that saddle and way up on a mountain and that was one I definitely wanted to get at night. And I, I got lazy and I, uh, I spooked the deer out of there, so I ruined that. But um, yeah, if you find them beds, it's a, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a place that's safe for them and it's just got to be the right time you know and and it was it was back to that calm time and the weather was fairly warm it wasn't freezing cold not high winds and so he was living up there and that day we went to hunt the next morning it was the same situation uh, we hunted that saddle he might have been up there you know and he was coming down in the saddle in the evening and there were some acorns down there we're not saying but on our on our way up that 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 evening we bumped a doe and snorted you know and you want you and it's just and that's going into that late season where yeah no one didn't bother those deer from the early gun season you know we're talking two to three weeks or whatever but as soon as you hear that one snort and does you know it's just like telephone tell a friend tell them you know what i mean and it's just like you ruined it john you ruined it now i gotta go find another spot yeah yeah so. but it's just it does just go to show too if you find those bedding areas that are used frequently that at some point or another they'll be there or they'll be back and yeah yeah one one really great example of that is we were struggling struggling the first year that we were doing drives and uh ben my buddy ben had spent the most time in the area scouting in the off season and i was like Ben, just tell me where do you see, like, out of all the places you've ever been, where do you see the most beds? And he just immediately was like, right here, pointed at the map. We went in there the next day, saw three shooters in the same bedding area that he pointed at. So it's just like, wow, that doesn't, you know, when you talk about too much, what I would compare it to is like, I'm looking for the sign that I've seen in late October, early November in a place like Iowa, where the deer density is through the roof. Well, Mm-hmm. hunting in Pennsylvania or Ohio or West Virginia and a lot of these, you know, lower deer density settings, you're not going to see that much sign because that many deer don't exist. I mean, mm-hmm. you could be also down in Georgia or Virginia or wherever, but if your deer density isn't the same in those places, it's not going to look the same. And I guess I just was able to, in this open country stuff, relate that to, you know, what I see in timber settings back east and just kind of reference a similar scale, I suppose, where, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just will help me in the future have confidence. I don't know that it means that much other than if there are beds there, some days they'll be there, even if they haven't been for days and days. And, you know, that particular spot where we ended up shooting the buck, there was three bucks in there that day. And prior to that, we hadn't seen a buck right in that exact spot. We'd seen them somewhat close, but not right in that spot. 
that day mm-hmm. the conditions just were in favor to be bedded there so they mm-hmm. were and i just i don't know i find that cool and helpful in a way and you know at the very least be able to use that to build confidence to commit to certain spots later but yeah and confidence is key and and I know I'll, I'll lose my confidence a little bit when, when you don't know what's going on and you're speculating, like, um, and you start losing that comp, not saying that you're wrong, but if you have vast amounts of land to where deer terrain or habitat cover, whatever you can, you start, but you do draw, you know, draw some conclusions and it's an app, but, um, it could go wrong for you. I mean, or you might not see deer and it doesn't mean that you, you were, you bumped them or you set up wrong, but it just might be that he wasn't there that time. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough confidence thing, you know, like you could be doing everything right and in not seeing deer because they're not there in that area. And you're like down on yourself. Cause like, and I ain't seen, but you might be doing everything right. You know right. what I mean? Right. Where on the other hand too, you could be doing a lot of things wrong in a high deer density area and still be seeing 10 deer, exactly. young do- you, know, yeah. you know, does and young bucks. So yeah. it's like, it's easier to keep confidence even if you may be doing things wrong in a high deer density area, just because you're getting those visual mm-hmm. confirmation that there are deer using the area. But if you're in a timber setting, hell, there might be, you know, a couple does and a buck on a whole ridge system. Yeah. And if you're not seeing them, it's hard to stay or feel like you're doing anything right. Where, like you said, you might be doing, you know, you might have a great access. You might have, mm-hmm. you know, the right, even have the right conditions for them to be there, but you know, if there's five places that are all the same, yeah. what are the odds really that they're going to be there? And I think it's just being persistent, staying confident and trying not to spiral out of control and lose all your confidence. Cause I know I do that at times. I think that, uh, I've taken up enough of your time at this point, but I really appreciate you, you chatting with me. I feel like we covered a lot of good stuff. I learned a lot yeah. and, you know, hopefully cool. people listened and did too. Yeah, it was fun. It's getting me pumped up for next week. I was kind of, like I said, I was out of it Christmas season, but I'm looking forward to getting, getting my two weeks of hunting in. So I know I feel like, I feel like now after talking about it, I'm fired up to pack. Yeah. My, I don't like yeah. packing my stuff up, but I'm feeling like, all right, let's pack the stuff yeah, up yeah. and let's go hunting here in the next few days. So <laughs> yeah, I wait till last minute, you know, and then I go get all my Same. stuff gathered up, you know? Oh yeah. I create a lot of stress for myself by doing it, but it's what I'm about to go do. So <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. And, uh, thanks Johnny for, you know, joining me and yeah, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll do another one at some point. <laughs> Sounds good.